opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon. I'm Denise Colley, the president of the Braille Revival League, and I want to welcome you all to Lewis Braille's Birthday Braille Matters Celebration. For the next seven hours, we are going to be talking about Braille, all facets of Braille. We are going to have organizations talking about the various things that they do related to Braille and how and why Braille matters to them. You will hear from our six uh, Braille Revival League, or BRL, as we affectionately call it, state affiliates. You will also hear from our ACB community uh, classes that deal with Braille. So we hope that you will sit back and you will enjoy as many of these events as you can throughout the day. I want to first of all take the opportunity to thank our uh, host for this first segment, Allison Smitherman. Thank you, Allison. And I want to thank our streamer, Brad Snyder. And now I'd like to introduce my co-host for this first section from the great state of Texas, Mr. Larry Johnson. Larry. Thank you, Denise. And I'd like to begin by saying, Joyeux anniversaire à Monsieur Louis Braille. Nous vous sommes profondément reconnaissants. Just in case he's listening, I wanted to say happy birthday to Louis Braille and to let him know how truly grateful we are to him for his invention. I've been a Braille user for over 80 years. I use it every day, and I value it greatly. I am very pleased and deeply honored to participate in this very special occasion. And I know we have many, many interesting guests, Denise, don't we? We certainly do. It's going to be a jam-packed filled day. And I just want to um, let you all know, because it is a jam-packed day and we have very great presenters to present, it was very exciting as we contacted organizations who said, yes, we want to be a part of this, that we ended up with so many that, unfortunately, we're probably not going to be able to take questions from those of you um, out in the audience. I apologize for that. If you have questions for any of our presenters, please, you may email them to treasurer at BrailleRevivalLeague.org. That's treasurer at BrailleRevivalLeague.org, um, all spelled out. And we will make sure that those questions get to the, the person that you um, are asking the questions of. I want to welcome all of you who are listening on um, Zoom or on the webinar. I also want to welcome those of you who are, who are in Clubhouse and those of you who are listening to us on ACB Media 8. Thank you so much for being here. And now I want to introduce our first guest for today, someone that most of us know fairly well. Um, if you're not a member of ACB, 
you should join us. Um, and and you'll get to know her a little bit better if you do that. It's me a great pleasure to welcome the ACB, American Council of the Blind President, Deb Cook-Lewis. Welcome, Deb. Well, thank you, Denise. It's just great to be with you all today. And thank you, Larry. And thank you, everyone, for being here. I am excited about today. I think this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful learning opportunity and sharing opportunity. And it's so great to have so many advocates of Braille who want to be here and who want to support this effort. And I hope you'll continue to do these and uh, maybe uh, work it out so that people uh, can ask questions in the future. Uh, because frankly, um, I, I can think of many just looking at who the presenters will be. Um, ACB is very, very committed to um, the promotion of Braille. We um, have representation in a variety of areas related to Braille, including the World Blind Union. And of course, you'll hear from many of these folks later today as we go along. And um, we also um, advocate for Braille in, in many, many respects. And we, our, our uh, ma major magazine, the Braille Forum, is in Braille. And thanks to the uh, efforts and advocacy efforts of our, um, of our Braille Revival League and also um, of our members in general, uh, in January, every issue of the Braille Forum will once again be in Braille. And uh, there will be 10 issues per year, uh, which will work out um, fine for our overall production. So um, we're really, really excited about that and uh, streamlining our process so that it has not increased um, our cost by very much. And so uh, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that advocacy. Um, but, but mostly we're just grateful for the fact that um, blind people do have a um, reading system that is equivalent to uh, reading other reading systems and um, uh, the print reading system, etc. And it's it's um, important that people have um, personal literacy. Um, and it's good that there are so many ways to uh, get information these days, and I don't. Uh, I want to disparage any of them, but there's nothing like having information uh, literally uh, in your hands. And uh, that's what Braille does for people who are um, blind and low vision who use it. Um, I'm a big advocate of electronic Braille, so I'm not necessarily as big an advocate anymore of paper, although many of you are, and that's fine. But um, I'm, I'm a little on the save a tree side, but, um, but I definitely am so appreciative of the fact that Braille has become easier and easier to produce um, and th that our advocacy for it is strong. So I, um, I'm really glad that we're not having the whole day in French. Uh, that was very <laughs> impressive, Larry. I really appreciated it. But um, I don't remember much of my high school French. <laughs> I was like, let's have the whole day in Braille, not in French. <laughs> but thank you all for inviting me. I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope we have a wonderful day together. I'll be catching a good bit of this on ACB Media. And I just thank you for the opportunity to um, kick you off for this event. And I look forward to a wonderful day together. Thank you, Deb, very much. And I agree with you. I can't remember my high school French either. So there you go. I'm impressed with Larry also. But then Larry always does really impressive things. So there you go. Um, uh, before I have Larry introduce our next presenter, I did um, 
want to tell you that we're not going to actually, we have a very full agenda and we're not going to actually go through the agenda because if you are on ACB community and you got your ACB community um, program for today, our entire agenda is on that program. Uh, it was also sent out on the ACB conversation list, uh, ACB leadership list, um, on the Braille everyone list and on the president's ACB president's list. So hopefully you were able to access our agenda and and one of those uh, places so that you will know what's happening um, throughout the day. So um, you can select the things that you hope and wish to attend. We hope that you'll be here for most of, you know, for all of it. But I know things happen and people have to go eat and stuff like that. So um, we wanted you to know what was happening when. So, Larry, why don't you introduce our next presenter? I'm very excited to meet and greet our next presenter, who I don't know until this moment. And she is the chair of the Braille Authority of North America, Jen Golden. And we want to find out what's current with Braille and what does the future hold? So if I may ask you, Jen, welcome, first of all. And I'd like to ask you to talk to us a little bit about who is the Braille Authority of North America and what is its role? Thanks so much and good afternoon and good morning, I guess, if you're on the West Coast. Uh, it's an honor to be here to celebrate World Braille Day. Um, I'm going to answer those very questions. I thought I would just take maybe not even a minute to kind of introduce myself because uh, I'm going to assume that most of you don't know me. So uh, you've already got my name. It's Jen Golden. I am from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And so I was delighted to hear some French. So I won't do my presentation in French. Don't worry. But <laughs> I will wish uh, I will wish you all a bonne journée mondiale du braille. Um, so I just wished you a happy World Braille Day. And uh, not to worry, I will stick with English from now on. Um, I just wanted to let you all know, so I, my educational background, I have a master's degree in linguistics, and I have sometimes worked in my field and sometimes not worked in my field. Basically, I spent a, a bunch of time working for the Canadian federal government, and I am also, um, I'm a lifelong Braille reader, and uh then in 2004, I actually, I got um, Braille certification. I, it was something I was just kind of going to do on the side. I thought it'd be kind of a cool thing to do. And then eventually I ended up uh, getting a job that was a little more central, where Braille was more central. But um, And then in, I did my UEB and UEB technical updates um, more recently. And I joined the BANA board in 2014, and the reason that happened is that I left the federal government and I got a job uh, with a software company called Crawford Technologies, and they are an associate member of BANA. And and basically, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about like the structure of BANA, but I just wanted to give people enough of an idea before I get into what we do for anybody who maybe isn't sure, you know, like, how does BANA work? How does the work get done? So um, basically... BANA has full members and associate members and associate associate members are like businesses that have a, a braille focus uh, can be an associate member of BANA. There's some other criteria, but basically if you're a business, you can't be a full member. So full members are not for profit. So like um, ACB, of course, is 
uh, you, you guys are a member. Uh, Judy Dixon is your rep, and you know National Braille Press, um, APH. Those are some other uh, full members of Bana. And basically, what happens is each organization appoints a rep to the Bana board, and a lot of the work is done at the board level. And then we have committees, and the committees, um, you know, work on the various documents, which I will I will come to in a moment. And the committees basically do the work of Bana. So uh, what happened with me was that I initially represented the company I work for. And then in 2020, uh, the person that had represented CNIB, which is the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, she stepped down and recommended that I be appointed as her replacement. So in doing that, I was then, because CNIB is a full member, I was able to fill officer positions. So I was been a secretary for a couple of years. And my hat's off to anybody who is a secretary. I'm telling you, that is not an easy role, trying to participate in a meeting and take notes at the same time. So that was, uh, it was definitely, uh, I, I have an appreciation for for people who do that role. And then in 2022, I became the Banna chair. So um, enough about me. We um, so now um, I'll kind of go back to answering the questions that you've asked. What's current? What's future? What's going on with Banna? Where are we headed? Um, all these kinds of things. So I really thought it would be a good idea to just highlight a little bit what Banna's mission and purpose are. And bear with me because I don't have this memorized and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I actually did just want to share it with with people so that you would have a sense of, you know, it's on our website, but I don't expect everybody to rush off and and go and look these things up on our website. I will tell you though, that if you want to kind of see what's going on with Banna and access documents, publications that we have, the the website is braillethority.org. Um, that said, I'm going to read just a little bit of this mission uh, for you to give you a sense. The mission of the Braille Authority of North America is to assure literacy for tactile readers through the standardization of Braille and or tactile graphics. And the purpose, and this is what I'm not going to read the entire thing because it's actually quite lengthy, but the purpose of BANA is to promote and to facilitate the uses, teaching, and production of Braille. And then it, the purpose goes on to talk about how BANA is going to do all these things. And it, it's very, it's, it's a little bit like legalese, like promulgate rules, make interpretations, and render opinions pertaining to Braille codes and guidelines. For, um, and and it, it kind of goes on to talk about the types of, you know, literary, technical, tactile graphics, um, things along those lines. So just it, trying to cover all different aspects of Braille and tactile graphics, whether it's literary, technical, whether it's, you know, textbooks or, you know, day-to-day -day material. And it's, it, like I said, it's quite lengthy. So um, I decided that, you know, given time and, and, you know, nobody wants to have a, a huge, big, long spiel read to them. Uh, so I just wanted to sort of highlight the mission and purpose of, of BANA. And so to kind of illustrate how we fulfill the mission and the purpose, um, I thought that what I would do is just highlight uh, some of what we're doing now and and kind of where where we're where we're headed. And then I've I've um, 
I thought I would give you a couple of highlights as well on some things that have happened throughout, uh, I almost said this year, 2023. I, it's going to take me a bit, 2024. Okay, so um, probably the big thing that we've got on our plates right now is that there have been updates to the tactile graphics guidelines, the um, the NEMIS code, and the chemistry code. And so um, the updates are done, the documents um what happens is once the updates, the authoring committees work on them, they go through a couple of different processes to get approval. And the reason we do that is that we have a process where it's, you know, people are reviewing it who are experts in the code who can who can kind of make sure that the code is consistent within itself and also that it doesn't uh, conflict. Let's say we want to make sure that there's nothing in the NEMIS code or nothing in say the, the chemistry code or uh, the code, the chemical notation is the actual term. We want to make sure that nothing in that code say contradicts something that's been said in say the NEMIS code. And so that's one level of the review process is to catch errors. One part of it is to catch these kind of inconsistencies or conflicts. Um, you know, so there's a number of reviews that happen. We have like a panel of, of experts will review it and the board will review it and have their organizations, um, you know, maybe somebody within their organization who has the expertise will take a look at it. So the process is quite in depth because we want to make sure we want to ensure the quality of what we put out. And then once the documents are approved, uh, the BRF versions have to be finalized. And we also, the PDF versions we put out, we we want them to be accessible as well in case anybody wants to use those versions. So sometimes that can be a little bit time consuming because these documents are so technical, but you will find in 2024 that uh, we will be posting all these new um, versions of these documents these updated versions of these documents. And so those are the big projects we've been working on. The knit and crochet guide guidelines um, are in the process of being updated as well. And we've also just updated um, our uh, BANA braille signage guidelines as well. And I believe those are actually posted on the website. Those ones are, it was a smaller document, so it was a lot easier to get uh, the accessibility uh, sorted out and get everything get everything posted. So that's just to give you an idea of where we are now. I'm going to give you some highlights and a brief, like, where's Banna headed uh, before I close? I want to be I, mindful of. Jen, I'd like to ask you a, a question about UEB. But before that, I want to thank you for not testing the limits of my French knowledge. It was <laughs> I would never I do had, that to you. I had to practice that quite a bit before I felt it was acceptable. But <laughs> with regard to F uh, UEB, how well has UEB been accepted? What feedback are you getting from Braille users and Braille producers? And and maybe along with that, do you anticipate the need for any future changes to UEB? And if so, where? Sure. Um, I guess, so your your question about how well has UEB been accepted, I mean, it's, I, I'm not entirely sure how to answer that only because there's so many um, factors involved. I would say you you know, where there's more tension would be when it comes to the technical component of UEB versus uh, the use of Nemeth. I think, um, you know, understandably, there's 
there's hesitation whenever there's change, right? And I, as a Braille reader, when I first heard of UEB, I was like, what? What is all this about? And then when I, I started to learn more about why it was happening, um, and I won't get into the, you know, you guys have probably heard all of that before, like why, why it headed in this direction. But, you know, I think often as Braille readers, we don't realize how much print has changed over the years and how, you know, Braille needs to be able to work with that. Um, I would say, you know, we... We um, we don't maybe get as much feedback as you might expect. Um, we do get feedback and people are welcome to, um, you know, there are ways on the website to write to us. I would say, you know, there are people that have differing views on UEB. Some people are like, okay, I've moved on. We've been, yeah. you know, we've been using this for a while and you know, I'm used to it. It doesn't really matter anymore. And yes, you know, it's great for, you know, software. It's great for, you know, there are things about it that are easier for, for new Braille learners. And, you know, so people, some people have just, you know, the transition has happened and they're fine. You know, there are decisions that need to be made based on the needs of the student when it comes to whether the student will learn Nemeth or whether they will um, be working with the UEB the technical um, components of UEB. And so it's not really an easy question to, I mean, are there people that aren't, aren't happy? Of course, you know, unfortunately that is the case. I'm not going to say that every, everybody all across the United States um, and Canada, you know, just loves everything, every decision that's been made. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that. Um, but I mean, on one level, I would say people have implemented it and have, I don't want to say moved on because for sure there are still people that are like, I don't understand why we're using this symbol. But um, I would just say that it, it is, you know, maybe there's, there are different reactions, but in a lot of ways, the transition, like things have been, you know, good things have happened and, and um you know, Banna Banna is aware of the the technical piece, the the Nemeth and UEB, and that decisions have to be made about what students will use in particular. And so, I'm really not sure if I'm answering your question to your satisfaction. But in terms of potential changes, I mean, certainly we don't want to keep changing the code. That's that doesn't help anybody. But uh, the International Council on English Braille does have. Um, it, it's sort of mandate is to maintain UEB and to, you know, if anything does, you know, if somebody comes along and says, Hey, there's, we need a symbol for such and such it's ICEB that would um, the code maintenance committee under ICEB that would do that. And so I will say that the committee um, has each country, each ICEB member country has a voting rep on that committee. So um, in Canada, it's me in the U S um, it's Jennifer Dunham. And anybody can be an observer on the list. So if you're interested in knowing what kinds of discussions are happening with regard to UEB, you are certainly welcome to become an observer on the list. And I think um, actually how it happens is that um, you would write to, because you are, I'm going to presume pretty much you're all in the U.S., you would write to me at chair at brailleauthority.org and say, I'd like to observe on the code maintenance committee list. And I would give your name and your email address to Matthew Horsepool, who is the, the 
code maintenance committee officer and he would add you um, because it comes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we're going to be talking with Matthew quite shortly. Yes. But we have maybe only a minute and a half left. I wonder if there's anything exciting on the horizon that you want to share with us that we can expect? Um, yeah, I had a few highlights, but I won't, I don't really have time um, to go through them now. But I will say that one thing Banna is looking at a lot more, uh, we're involved in the DAISY eBraille working group that's happening to develop a sort of dynamic um, EBRF format. So we are involved in that. And we're starting to have a lot more discussions about electronic braille. It's not that we just figured out that it was here. It's just we're trying to be deliberate about, okay, how can BANA or how should BANA be involved when it comes to electronic braille and what kinds of things um, do we need to think about? So in when it comes to sort of what's in the future, we're just going to keep fulfilling our mission and, and um, doing the things that, that we do. You asked me about, you know, why braille matters. And I think that's it matters to Banna for the same reasons that it matters to all of us for, for Braille readers, that it's, it's um, you know, the best and really the only way for us to have literacy. And so that's what Banna, we want to make sure that, you know, we don't know where Braille is going to be in 10, 20 years, but we know it's going to be vibrant and we know it's going to be fulfilling the role that it's been fulfilling for the last 200 years. Jen, thank you so very much. We really appreciate your participation and your invitation to people if they would like to become more involved, that they can contact you and find ways to do that. So thank you for joining us on thank this you for special, having me. special presentation today. Merci à tous et à toutes. Okay, Denise. Are you there? <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> I got stuck on mute. Oh, gosh. Not, not a good place to be. All right. Thank you very much, Jen. We really appreciated you being with us. Is John with us? Yes, he is. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, The agenda um, says that our next presenter is going to be, well, first of all, we are now going to hear from the first of our six um, Braille Revival League state affiliates, and that is our Jenny Beck chapter in uh, Pennsylvania. And the agenda said uh, that Tony, Tony McCluskey, their president, would be with us, but he is unable to be with us. But their vice president, John Luttenberger, is with us. And John has been with BRL for, I remember when I first joined BRL, John was um, the representative, the, the state affiliate representative on the Braille Revival League board. So welcome, John. Tell us a little bit about what is going on with Jenny Beck, what the chapter is doing, some of the things maybe that you've done over the past year, and if you have any uh, future projects for this upcoming 2024 year. John, you are muted. There you go. Or not. There we go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, thank you, Denise. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here today. Uh, to celebrate Louis Braille's 215th birthday and the 200th anniversary of his uh, 
designing the Braille code. I believe it's the 200th anniversary of that. Uh, my name is John Luttenberger. I'm the vice president of the Jenny Beck chapter. Um, I bring greetings from our president, Tony McCluskey, who unfortunately couldn't be here, but he wishes that us a, a, a successful and a productive uh, uh, pre presentation uh, today. So um, I'm here to talk about the uh, work of the Jenny Beck chapter uh, here in Philadelphia. Um, our chapter is actually 40 years old this year. It was founded on September 27, 1983, when nine people gathered at the former Volunteer Services for the Blind uh, in Philadelphia and uh, established the chapter back then. Uh, it's named for Jenny Beck, who was the director of what at the time was called Volunteer Services for the Blind and a very uh, a great supporter of Braille, all things Braille, um, for uh, for our community. Um, at that time, um, they uh, were they they uh, all the transcribers. Well, they still are all volunteers. Um, they used Perkin, Perkins Braillers back then, one copy at a time. And uh, so they have to have a lot of um, people work working on that. Uh, and at that time, two of the two of the uh, Braillists were actual certified transcribers, and two two were certified proofreaders. Um, they did a lot of advertising in magazines to find other people, uh, or even around the country, to to uh, work on Braille with Perkins Brailers at the time. Uh, also at the very beginning, uh, when the chapter was established, uh, the first president, I believe, after the first elected president was Donald Davis, who was is the late husband of May Davis, who many of us know and love, for sure. Um, he, um, he wrote the first quarterly newsletter of our chapter, which is called Fingertips, and then handed it off to May, who has been the editor of that quarterly newsletter ever since. So May's been the editor of that for about 20 years, or 40, uh, well, I don't know, maybe 40 years, yeah. Um, and it's a wonderful newsletter and one of the great um, benefits to our members. Um, to our members. Um, of course, as time went by uh, and embossers became uh, common, we we switched to using embossers in the 1990s um, and um, began doing work for um, uh, in the in the 2000s. Uh, we were doing for a time uh, theater programs for a local theater company um, for their accessible uh, performances with audio description that they did, um, and then also. Um, We've, we were doing uh, concert programs for a chorus uh, now called the Mendelssohn Chorus of Philadelphia, which I've been singing with for almost 30 years. And uh, in fact, we're celebrating our 150th season this year uh, with them. Of course, um, uh, those, those concert programs could be pretty big. They might be 100 pages sometimes because we made sure we got all the, all the material from the print program in for the uh, blind patrons to read. Um, with the pandemic uh, came, of course, uh, uh, a great reduction of shutdowns and so forth. And and um, and unfortunately, during this time, 
the building where our office was located for many years was sold. And on very short notice, we had to get all our stuff out of there and put in storage. And we are now looking for new quarters to set up our shop again. And uh, we hope that will be resolved uh, sometime this year. Uh, hang on just a second here. Um, okay. Um, and um, we, uh, we currently have a roster of uh, 23 active members. So it's, uh, that's about where, we're, where we are. I, I don't know. Um, we hope that things will perk up this year, and especially when we acquire a new, new uh, physical location to set up our equipment and, and so forth and uh, resume um, doing more of the work we did in the past. Um, are there any questions uh, that anybody might have? Well, so, John, um, can you tell us why, first of all, if, um, if there are listeners here from Pennsylvania, especially the Philadelphia area, who might be interested in joining the Jenny Beck State Affiliate, how would they do that? Um, they could um, they could email me if they like. Um, and, and that would be uh, my name, John Luttenberger, L-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G-E-R. -E -E and that is uh, J-L-U-T-T-3 at Verizon.net. And are you, um, you know, you talk about that it sounds like you primarily do, you know, Braille transcribing. Um, yes. Do you have any other activities or why why would someone want to join, I guess, is more my question. Well, obviously, they have uh, they, they have, have to have an, have an interest in Braille. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know uh, in the past we did do uh, years ago, we did do some outreach events. Uh, going to bookstores and so forth uh, to promote Braille, but that sort of uh, faded away. I think the stores were, uh, weren't as willing to do it after a while. Um, but uh, And, of course, um, when, when we uh, resume physical meetings, uh, once we get, get our location, um, we'll be able to have some uh, social events as well. But, of course, the main interest is that people are interested in Braille. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and all, everything that uh, relates to that. And just quickly, um, and you may have said this and I missed it. So what kinds of, who would be requesting Braille from you and, and how does that work? I mean, do you do um, textbooks or do you do bills or do you, what, what do you, just your newsletter or what do you, you know, what oh, kinds of things do you do? Yeah, well, as I said in the past, we've done, um, you know, theater programs, concert programs, and I neglected to say that we also uh, would do uh, any any custom brewing for individuals that they might that someone might wish. Uh, you know, and we'd set up a a, a minimal uh, you know a, a minimal uh, structure for pricing of that. Uh, you know, uh, and also um, when it came when it comes to doing work for individuals, we if an individual um, wish to have old style Braille. I, 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 I don't know if our banner people would like to hear this, but um, if they wish the uh, pre banner uh, pre UEB, we would do it for an individual. But for but for any uh, entity like a theater company or 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 my chorus or anything else like that, we would always do UEB. Great. Thank you so much, John, for coming and sharing with us about Jenny Beck. 
And we hope that if we have any listeners out there in the Philadelphia area, especially who are not members and would like to join, email John and he can tell you exactly what you do. How much are your dues? Uh, is May here? <laughs> I asked you a hard I think question. It's 15, <laughs> I think it's I think it's fifteen a year. Okay, well we'll go with that, and and if it's different, they'll find out. Yeah. But again, thank you, John, so very much for being with well, us today. It was my pleasure, and thank you very much. You're welcome. Next on our agenda is um, what I think is a real treat. If if you um, listened to our last Braille Buzz, which was in December, you had an opportunity to hear um, from our next presenter. And we're going to do things a little differently with this one. Um, our presenter is Matthew Horsepool, who is the general manager of the Brailleist Foundation in the United Kingdom. And we have invited Frank Welty, who is um, president of the Cal uh, Braille Revival League of California and is on the Braille Revival League um, National Board to kind of do a little interview of Matthew. We thought we'd just kind of, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd do things, you know, somewhat differently throughout the day so that, you know, you weren't getting, getting, uh, hearing one thing and one thing only. So, Frank and Matthew, I'll turn it over to the two of you. Hello, this is Frank Welty here from California. I hope you're hearing all hearing me well. Mm -hmm. And uh, Matthew, are you with us? I am indeed. Good afternoon and good evening. And uh, I don't know if there's anybody from uh, the, the Southern Hemisphere, but good morning if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. Very good. Well, I want to start by mentioning how I came across the Brailleist Foundation, and I'd say I stumbled across the Brailleist Foundation a few years ago. I was getting into listening to podcasts, and because I'm a Braille transcriber, I wanted to find something about Braille. And so I happened to stumble up across, across something called the Braillecast. So I signed up for it, and that's when I found out that, that it was uh, done by a group out of the UK called the Brailleist Foundation. And the more I listened, the more I got excited about this organization because first off, there are some really smart and interesting people presenting on these these uh, these episodes of the podcast covering all kinds of interesting Braille subjects with great deal of knowledge. Matthew was one of them. And, and then, of course, as I listened to the podcast, I learned more about the organization. So when we were uh, planning this uh, great celebration today, I thought that the Brailleist Foundation was an organization that we should include. So here we are today. So Matthew, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about the organization, how it got started, and you know why it was formed, and what is its principal mission today? Sure. So, um, I mean, you've already talked about one aspect of the Brailleist, which is Brailcast, and I'm really pleased that you uh, that, that you enjoy that. Thank you for giving us that wonderful introduction and that great feedback. Um, Brailcast um, was was one of the earliest projects of the Brailleists Foundation, actually, um, and really it was designed to complement the mission that the Brailleist Foundation has, which is more Braille, and it really is as simple as that. Really, we we have a slightly more complicated, you know, proper uh, mission statement that we use, you know, for uh, the Charity Commission and other legal entities like that. But for all intents and purposes, more Braille. That means everything from more braille in the environment you know more braille on products more braille on signage you know to 
uh, more people using Braille to you know, more Braille availability to more Braille technology to everything. We just want to see more Braille in the world. And we grew out of um, a, con- a consultation group actually uh, set up by Bristol Braille Technology, the manufacturers of the Canute. Um, they set up a consultation group for the Canute, which is a multi-line Braille e-reader. Um, the members of that consultation group went away going, wow, we've never talked to anybody about Braille before. This is really exciting. And off the back of that, set up the charity that we now know as the Braillist Foundation. So we grew out of this tiny little meeting in a workshop in Bristol, um, registered uh, officially with the Charity Commission over here, which is, I guess, the same as like a 501c3 um, out in the US just before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, obviously had to really reevaluate what we thought we were going to do. And so what we principally do now is, yeah, the Brailcast podcast, as you say, and a lot of the episodes of the Brailcast podcast are, in fact, recordings of live events on Zoom, um, which we've now settled into quite a nice pattern of doing those twice a week. So on a Thursday, we have our book club, which is a, kind of a reading practice environment, really. So you you pick a room. There are five rooms. Uh, we just call them room one to room five, and they're based on how quickly you read, essentially, and, and how much Braille you know. So you pick a room and you read a book uh, to each other. You take it in turns to read and you you practice your Braille uh, amongst friends. So that happens every Thursday, and that's obviously uh, not recorded because it, it's a practice environment. And then on a Tuesday, um, the first Tuesday of the month is specifically for our uh, beginner Braille uh, users uh, through our Braille for Beginners course. The second and the fourth Tuesday is our Braille bar session, and that's uh, that's that's goes back to uh, when we actually used to do physical Braille bars, and we we might get to back to that in 2024. But um, it's it's basically a drop-in surgery. Ask us whatever question you like, and we'll try and answer it. We have some real real experts on there, um, you know, uh, coding experts, technology experts. Uh, it, it's really really quite good, and that's that's not recorded. Um, the reason why we don't record it is simply because we find that sometimes the people who need to ask the questions the most are the people who are the most shy. And if we tell them they're being recorded, they're not going to step forward and ask a question. So we, we don't record the Braille Bar, but we do record the masterclasses, which are on the third and the fifth Tuesday of every month. So most of the time, there's only one masterclass a month. Very occasionally, there'll be two um, if there's a fifth Tuesday. And they cover, uh, like you were saying, uh, they cover Braille technology and the Braille code. And so we did one on grade three, for example, and the braille shorthand code and uh we're hoping to do one this term on the uh braille sense 6 the new software update for that and possibly one on split braille in jaws and uh, all of that sort of thing really is covered in those sessions yeah those are great sessions i've enjoyed listening to those and and you and you really run the gamut on there i mean you've done you've done the grade three you've done music braille you've done just all kinds of things and it's very informative and, and you get some really very knowledgeable people to teach those sessions too. Yeah, we do our best. Uh, and obviously the, the, the problem is, of course, we've been doing them for two years now, if not longer. Um, I think we started them actually in, in November 2020. So we've actually been doing them more like three years. And once you've been doing them for three years, you quickly sort of realize that actually you're, you're in danger of repeating topics. So we're really pleased that Braille's moving on and we're getting you know more Braille technology on the market because it means we can uh, keep our masterclasses going for even longer. Sure. That's great. So what do you what do you see in, in the next year as far as things that you're looking forward to from the Braille Foundation, from the Braillist Foundation? So 
Um, what are we looking at in 2024? Um, we, as a board of trustees, we haven't actually sat down and had that conversation yet. Uh, so, so it's really difficult. But um, when we started, we were not online. We were an entirely uh, face-to-face organization. Now, we are not going to go back to being an entirely face-to-face organization because one of the things that we've really benefited from over the past uh, two or three years is being able to open up to an international audience. And, and a lot of our presenters uh, have come from the US. A lot of our audience have come from the US. And we really, really appreciate that and, and, and really, really want to continue to offer a service. Um, but we are based in the UK. And there is uh, the potential for us to start to do some face-to-face events in the UK where, for example, we might have a meeting on a Saturday afternoon and we might invite some Braille technology companies to come in and show us what their products look like. So people are saying, well, I don't know whether I need to buy a a Brailleant or a Mantis. We can say, right, well, here's a Brailleant and here's a Mantis. Have a look at them, have a play with them, and then you can decide. Or someone says, do do I buy a Brailleant or a Focus? Well, here's, here's the two of them you know, compare them side by side. And, and maybe off the back of that, what we'd really quite like to do is is to get some research involved in that. So if, say, someone from, you, know, you get it all the time, you know, oh, I'm from a university, I've come up with this fantastic uh, product, Braille product that's going to benefit blind people. Uh, can we ask you some questions? And we can say, well, why don't you come along to our Braille meeting and, and you can ask us in a face-to-face environment, you can bring some samples, we can help you test it. Um, and so that I think um, will carry on business as usual online. And I think really that that will be where we develop is to try and uh, engage the community in the UK face to face and to try and engage the industry to really, you know, consult with Braille users to make sure that they're making the best products that they can. Great. Well, I want to ask you a few questions, sort of not specifically about the foundation right now, but just I want to get sort of an international perspective from your point of view in terms of of Braille. And the first question I have is, is Braille used differently or more prevalently in the UK than than here in the US? Yeah. And and the problem with that question, of course, is that uh, you have to know how Braille is used in the US. And and I'm not sure I'm a real expert on that, to be honest. But um, I wouldn't say that it is. From the little that I know about Braille in the US, I would say that Braille in the UK is probably used very similarly uh, and is probably has the same sort of prevalence. Um, There are standards that we have in the UK. I don't know whether you have them in the US. Um, For example, um, largely uh, thanks to the work of the European Union, actually, all pharmaceutical products in the UK have to, by law, have Braille on them. And and that was a huge uh, breakthrough when that happened. So we're really pleased about that. And of course, we benefit from that. Um, I don't think it's the law in the UK that buildings have to have Braille signage. But um, there are some signage companies now that will just put braille on signs unless you tell them not to so that's quite nice we are starting to see more braille and braille where you would least expect it actually like i was in uh, at the train station uh, in coventry that had recently been rebuilt and i was you know going on the handrail down to the platform and actually on the handrail at the very top of the handrail was a, a tiny little braille sign to say which platform i was going down to so we're well, starting good. yeah so we are starting to see it but i think by and large it's not it's certainly not ubiquitous there's sort of a a 30 percent chance that you might see braille 
in a building. Uh, so there's still a long way to go. Yeah, I'd say that we are sort of the mirror image of you in that we do have some standards and some 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 laws regarding certain kinds of signage and buildings, but we have almost nothing in terms of, of uh, requirements for product, getting Braille and products, and it's something that we're advocating for over here. <laughs> so we can learn from each other, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would you say that, um, do you believe that, that the use of Braille is on the decline? And if so, why? Yeah, I feel like there's a right answer to that question, and I'm going to buck the trend. I actually don't think that Braille is in decline. I think there are various uh, corners and perhaps various compartments of the industry that would like us to believe that Braille is in decline. Because, to be honest, um, if everybody... Uh, while everybody believes that Braille's in decline, nobody wants to learn it, and therefore that the, they don't have to spend the money on teaching it, and they don't have to spend the money on producing it, and and unfortunately, it is a costly exercise to teach Braille. I mean, that is just the reality of that situation. If you want to be taught Braille well, um, you know, you're going to need to have a face-to-face -face session, and that's either going to cost you or it's going to cost the state, right? And that's just or 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 somebody. Um, and that's that. So so people don't want to put that money in. And so they want to believe that Braille's in decline. And they'll tell you that, that that's the line that they'll spin. But I really don't think it is. And I think we have um, the iPhone to thank for that. I really do. I think we have a lot of things to thank for that. I think we have electronic Braille and Braille technology and, and you know, all this stuff. But I really do think the iPhone was the turning point because the iPhone introduced Braille screen input. And what that did was even if people were not reading braille even if you never touch a braille book in your life you have a device in your hand that has a braille keyboard on it and you might need a bit of help to learn to use it you might need a bit of help to turn it on but once you've got the hang of it you've got a braille keyboard and you because there's no resistance on that keyboard you can get up some speed you can braille really fast on a on a braille keyboard on a touchscreen and i really do think that has really um really 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 um increased and raised the profile of braille writing and once people have learned to write braille they then start to think well hang on maybe i ought to read braille as well and for those who don't get the hang of a braille screen input there are devices like the orbit writer and the hable one which are of course smaller because they're only a braille keyboard they're smaller than a qwerty uh, bluetooth keyboard and so it's a lot more convenient in, in a lot of ways to Braille on a Braille keyboard than it is to type on a QWERTY keyboard. So I, I think the touchscreen has really turned the corner for Braille. I, I think you're right there. I, and I, I agree with you there that, it, that there is the, the feeling. And, and unfortunately, in, in some cases, it's in, in, in professionals that have the feeling that somehow Braille is not is less necessary. But we in the community certainly disagree with that. And I think that in a lot of ways, we're in a golden age of Braille with the availability of of braille input devices and refreshable braille displays and the upcoming advent of the e-braille standard i mean i think there's a there's a lot of exciting things happening that are going to make braille more available than it's ever been in the past um speaking of which you know until recently in the u.s it was pretty tough for people to get their hands on a braille display because of the cost and because we don't have as robust a system for making uh access technology available as there there is i think in some other countries particularly in europe and i'd say um in in the case of the uk what options do people have for acquiring braille displays and do you think it's 
very difficult or do you think there are a lot of ways that can make it easier that are in place in the UK that maybe we can learn from in the US? Yeah, um, this is a hard question. Um, I think um, if you're in work or if you're at university, I think if you know that you want a Braille display, then it's fairly straightforward to get one. Um, in university, there's a system called Disabled Students Allowance that will fund uh, whatever assistive technology you need up to a point. There's a budget, right? But I mean, they, they will fund within that budget and they will fund a Braille display if you say you need a Braille display. Uh, when you're in work, yes. we have access to work. Again, they will fund up to a point, uh, up to a budget, but they will fund whatever. So they'll generally get you a screen reader and a Braille display if that's what you say you need or they'll get you a Braille note taker. Um, that's fine. If you're not in work or at university, then I'm afraid, realistically, you're responsible for acquiring your own Braille display. Now, you might, if you're in school, the school system may buy you a Braille display or um, there, there are charities that may get you a Braille display if you're a child and going through education. So that there's options there. If you're an adult, realistically, um, we get quite a good um, disability payment, a social security payment, essentially. Um, we get around about £700 per month in what we call personal independence payment. Now, mm -hmm. we don't really get anything else other than that. I mean, we, we get a third off train fares, but we have to pay for a rail card to get that privilege. We get free bus travel, I guess. Um, but like, really, we, we don't get much else and i don't say that to complain but what i do say is that that money has to go a long way you, you know if you need to take a taxi because a bus is not running in that environment you've got to pay for that taxi at full cost and you've got to pay for that out of your personal independence payment if you need a cleaner because you just struggle to clean various parts of your house or it takes you a long time and, and you don't want to put the time in you know you've got to pay for that it, it's got to come out of your your pip money so quite often there's not a lot of pip money left over for you to go out and buy yourself a braille display and even right. if there is you have got to convince yourself that a braille display is important enough for you to spend the thousands of pounds that you've got to spend on a braille display and realistically you know whether whether you think it's important or not the mindset that you have to get into of i'm going to spend you know a couple of thousand on a braille display that is a tough mindset to get people in especially if they're on quite a low income because on a low income what you're taught to do is budget and budget and budget and budget and save and save and actually yes. like that's fine but on the one hand you're being told listen you know you could buy the 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 two pound tin of beans or you could buy the 50 pence you know tin of beans so which one are you going to buy you know of course you're going to buy the 50p one and on the other mm -hmm. hand you're being told oh yeah but of course you can spend you know two or three grand on a braille display so it's yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a mental mm -hmm. adjustment yeah. that people have to make and i don't think people are making that mental adjustment now the orbit reader is helping we 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 rnib was a big player in the transforming braille group um and so orbit readers are very common over here um, and it is helping, but it's still expensive. It's still five or six hundred. There was a, a limited run yes. of free orbit readers that's now come to an end. Uh, and and for for the people who need to make the mental shift, even getting them to spend five or six hundred on display is really actually quite difficult. Yeah, I think I think two big things that have happened here recently that are going to help a lot with that is that our national library service is now 
offering uh, e-readers. So they're they're essentially they're they're a modified uh, braille display that is that is designed for use with uh, reading braille uh, materials from places like the National Library Service and Bookshare. And they also do connect to uh, other devices. So it's a way that a person can get a 20 cell display into their hands at no charge to them, which is going, I think is, is, is a huge opportunity. And then of course, re our, our National Library Service recently started what they call their Braille on Demand program, where in addition to being able to download Braille files that, that we've been able to do for years, we can now get embossed copies of Braille books from our libraries at, at and to, to keep. So that's pretty exciting. So that's that's some good news that has happened over here on in the US in the last couple of years. Um, Matthew and Frank, I just want to, I'm sorry, I, I need to bring this section to a close. I'm just going to wrap up. Thank so, you. Okay, uh, I'll let you do that. Okay. So Matthew, um, as we close here, can you uh, give us some information for those who want to learn more about the, the Brillis Foundation and how to contact you folks? For sure. And the easiest way to find us is actually just on our website, which is brailists.org. And brailists is B-R-A-I-L-L-I-S-T-S. -L -L so brailists.org. Um, the podcast is at brailcast, all one word, dot com. And if you need to get in touch with us, help at brailists.org. Send an email there and we will gladly reply to you. And and I, I encourage everybody to do that because you're an outstanding uh leader in in the field of braille around the world and so thank you so much for being with us this evening for you and uh and we hope to stay in touch with all of you thank you very much fantastic thank you for the opportunity thank you both of you and thank you matthew for taking some time out of your day to be with us okay larry i'll turn it back to you thank you and now i have the pleasure to introduce our treasurer of BRL, the Braille Revival League, and she happens to also be the chair of our membership committee. And Jane Corona is going to talk to us a little bit our, about our life membership. You know, it's amazing. I found it truly amazing that how many people have come to support BRL by joining as life members. So this is really a record, and we're going to take a moment to acknowledge them. And then Jane is also going to announce the winner of one of our contests. Jane? Thanks so much, Larry. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, and this is such a wonderful thing today. I'm so proud to be a part of this celebration and to be a part of the Braille Revival League. Um, a a uh, personal privilege here, a, a great Thank you to my View Plus Columbia embosser, who was in, was uh, responsible for all of the pages and pages of Braille that I have oh, on my desk here at the moment that I'm going to need throughout the day. Um, <clears throat> one of the pieces of paper that I Brailled out three times, actually, is the list of life members, because every time I'd Braille it out and I think, OK, this is the list I'm going to read during the celebration. Then somebody would call and say, I want to become a, a BRL life member. And that's great. So I processed that, brailed out the list again. OK, this is the list I'm going to be using. And then somebody else would call and say, I want to be a BRL life member. I printed this thing three times. So and what a wonderful thing to have so many people 
devote so much of their financial and emotional resources to 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 the Braille Revival League and to become life members and have uh, a lifelong um uh, dedication to to Braille and the work of the Braille Revival League. Um, so um, what we'd like to do now is read the names of, of our currently 66 BRL life members. And at the end, I will mention the four who were life members who are now deceased. So our life members, as of this moment, are Eileen Akers from Norwich, Connecticut, Dennis Amadin from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, Norma Bogie from um, Des Moines, Iowa, Gerard Boucher from Haverhill, Massachusetts, Phyllis Burson from Bethesda, Maryland, Ann Byington from Topeka, Kansas, Karen Campbell from Springfield, Illinois, Ray Campbell from Springfield, Illinois, Judy Cannon from Watertown, Massachusetts, Jane Corona from Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, Robert Carter from College Station, Texas. Jason Castingway from uh, Manchester, Connecticut. Kate Chamberlain from Walworth, New York. Kim Charlson from Watertown, Massachusetts. Judy Dixon from Arlington, Virginia. Paul Edwards from Jacksonville, Florida. Jason Ion from Chandler, Arizona. Karen Itell from uh, Kingwood, Texas, Vicki Flake from Woods Cross, Utah, Carol Francisco from Nashville, Tennessee, Jeffrey Friedlander from Cincinnati, Ohio, Robin Frost from Havertown, Pennsylvania, Karen Gerald from Norfolk, Virginia, Terry Gorman from Chicago, Illinois, Kathy Gosselin from Washington, D.C., Nona Graves from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, Peter Heidi from Baraboo, Wisconsin, uh, Marilee Hill Kennedy from Toledo, Ohio. Uh, Cynthia Hirakawa from Honolulu, Hawaii. Linda Holiday from Salt Lake City, Utah. Tom Jones from Mark Car Mount Carmel, Illinois. Um, Maria Christich from Albany, New York. Paul Kurtz from Jacksonville, Florida. Rhonda Lee from Madison, Wisconsin. Ninette Legates from Westminster, Maryland. Audrey Levine from New York, New York. Alice Lopez from Peoria, Illinois. Jean Mann from Albany, New York. Alice Massa from, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Tony May from Charlottesville, Virginia. Donald Morrow from Chicago, Illinois. Destine Noller from Franklin, Tennessee. Jill O'Connell from Westminster, California. Frank Pacheco from Wheaton, Maryland. Terry Pacheco from Wheaton, Maryland. Roger Peterson from Mountain View, California. Marilyn Prayan from Glendale, Wisconsin. Kathy Reed from uh, Oxford, North Carolina. Tamara Rory from Arlington, Virginia. Maureen Ryan from Chicago, Illinois. <clears throat> Dixie Sanderson from Guilford, Connecticut. Audrey Shading from Mount Vernon, New York. Um, Susan Shulgin from Homewood, Alabama, Marcy Scott from Vero Beach, Florida, Sandra Sermons from uh, Rockville, Maryland, Patty Slobby from Arcadia, Wisconsin, 
Jennifer Sparks from Indianapolis, Indiana, Wanda Stockley from Tallahassee, Florida, Karen Swagger from Wiley Ford, West Virginia, Beth Terranova from Virginia Beach, Virginia, Janice Thomas from Springfield, Illinois, Karen Thomas from Austin, Texas, Jane Tolino from uh, San Antonio, Texas, Gail Workman from Peoria, Illinois, Linda Yaks from Harrison, Arkansas, Renee Zellickson from Mar Mount Car messed that up again, Mount Carmel, Illinois. Now, our four deceased life members, um, Ruth Bloss, Carol McCarl, Alberta O'Shaughnessy, and Dick Seifert. Or is it Seifert? I'm not sure. I couldn't ask him. Um, so thank you so much to all of our life members. Everybody in the Braille Revival League, all of your all of our members are you're my people, you know, and I care very much about my people. But there's a special place in my heart for life members of BRL. And I'd like to personally thank each and every one of you who who have made that long-term commitment to the Braille Revival League. That's an impressive list, Jane. But can you tell us how can you become a life member? I can do that. Um, membership in the Braille Revival League is $200 a year. Um, you could pay it in installments if you'd like. Um, that It's uh, 10 $25 installments. Of course, that's $250. So it's cheaper if you pay it all in one glump. Um, you can do uh, PayPal. Um, I'll give my contact information at the end. Uh, you can do PayPal. You can call me with a credit card. You could send me a check if you'd like to. Again, uh, a one-time one lump sum payment for a life membership is $200. Easier if you call me in person uh, over the phone because then I can make sure I've got all of your information correct. I'm very careful about that because I typically don't get communications from my life members every year because they don't need to pay dues anymore. So I don't hear from them as often. So I'm very careful about trying to make sure that the information I have for my life members is correct and it stays that way. Um, you can email treasurer at braillerevivalleague.org um, if you have any questions about it. You can send a PayPal payment of the $200 just make sure you put in there in a note that says life membership. Um, that goes to treasurer at braillerevivalleague.org. Or you can call me, as I said, with a credit card. That's the quickest, easiest way. My phone number is 301-598-2131. And we look forward to many, many more life members. And as many times as I have to braille out this list before I read it, is great. I love doing that. And my, my Columbia embosser is very happy to help whenever he can. So thanks so what's much. Our, what is our total right now? How many life members? We have 66 life members right now. Fantastic. Well, and there's one other project that Jane oh, is uh, heading up. And, uh, you know, the question came up and when we created this uh, extravaganza birthday party for Louis Braille is, why does Braille matter? And so we decided to make that a contest. Tell us, Jane. Okay. <laughs> um, we decided that we would have this contest where anybody who, could, who wanted to, didn't have to be a member of BRL, uh, write to us and say in 50 words or less, why Braille matters to you. And we got 20 submissions, and they were lovely submissions. We thoroughly enjoyed 
Um, I'd like to, to take a minute to thank the members of the membership committee of the Braille Revival League because we all met and we decided which ones were first, second, and third place. Um, Larry Johnson, of course, is on there, and Mae Davis, and uh, Mary Ellen Cronin, and Lucy Edmonds are on my membership committee, and they've been a joy to work with. So throughout the day, I'm going to be reading um, the, the three winning um, Braille Matters submissions, and each person got a prize. And, and I had great fun contacting all of these people. I felt like I was the publisher's clearinghouse. You know, you have won a prize. You have, <laughs> you know, this is great. All so, right, the third place, third place prize winner. Yes, the third place prize winner was Jane Tolino from San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. Yay! Yes, and she got one of our game books, which we'll be talking about later during the day. Um, and she actually bought all five of them, but I, I only charged her for four because one of them was free. So her submission was as follows. Frederick Douglass taught, literacy is a path from slavery to freedom. There are many kinds of slavery and many kinds of freedom. Reading is still the path. I wholeheartedly affirm Braille reading is my lifelong path to freedoms. Therefore, I read book after book leading to life upon life. And that's the third place Braille Matters submission. And thank you so much to Jane Tolino for submitting that. I'll that's be back it. later with the second and then the first prize um, winners of the Braille Matters uh, contest. That's Thanks, a everyone. great message. It's a great message. Thank you so much for that submission. And yes, we will be reading the second place and the first place winners later on. And Jane will also share with us more information about how you can become a member. You don't have to be a life member. We'll take you just one year at a time. So we can do that as well. Jane, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Larry. It's a joy to be here. And now we move to our next presenter, and I noticed that she is on stage. And it is my pleasure to introduce Claudia Romero, who is the program director for Volunteers of Vacaville Blind Project at the California Medical Facility, Vacaville, California. And so, Claudia, welcome, first of all. Are you unmuted? She's still muted. I sent her a, a request. There, there you go. There, there we are. Okay. Well, welcome. And I want you to tell us when and why did Vacaville begin this program? And of course, for folks who don't know, Vacaville is a um, is a prison in California. And I don't know much more about it than that. So tell us, please, Claudia. Hi, so um, hi, my name is Claudia Romero. I work at California Medical Facility, which is a state prison in Northern California. And we have the Blind Project, which is called, um, and to the community, we're known as the Volunteers of Vacaville. So we're a nonprofit organization that provides products and services for the visually and physically impaired community, as well as jobs and rehabilitation for our inmate workers. So we are located within the prison and we began there in 1960. So we began with audio transcription, 
Then a couple years later, we started fixing Braille machines. And then in 2001, we began doing uh, Braille transcription. So, and we also do optical gauging. So we offer three services, which are Braille transcription, Braille, Braille machine repairs, and optical gauging. So from those services, we're able to maintain our nonprofit status and create funds for our inmate, for our inmate pay, for our supplies. So um, that's how we began. Whose idea was this, Claudia? This idea, it began with Ms. Uh, Ms. Betty Brundo, and she, um, she and their incarcerated people housed at CMF, which was, she was the former coordinator. So they were, uh, they, they worked with the Lions Club and then of that time, and that's how they began that program. So we are affiliated with them. And how many inmate volunteers have participated in the program over the years? And this is a long period of time. And what motivates them to want to participate? So since in the 64 years that the Blind Project has been in existence, there has been over 2,300 incarcerated people working in the program. Wow. Many, many have gone on to parole or gone into the rehabilitation programs like the Robert Evans Alexander Memorial Hospice here at CMF, which and then the incarcerated people who participate in the program, many of which were sentenced to life in prison, do it for the opportunity to give back to the community. So the Blind Project is made of incarcerated people who have done years of, of self-help work and want to make amends for their past and consider the work they do here as a living amends. Well, give us an idea of the output of the different product components, you know, or the Braille repair, the transcription, the, the different um, aspects of the program. So uh, the, incar the incarcerated people at the Blind Project, like for this past month, they repaired 50 to 75 machines, which is our average per month. Uh, this, is a, this is impressive because each machine has over 600 individual parts and must be completely dismantled, cleaned, serviced, and in most cases repaired be before being put back together and calibrated. So we currently work on the standard Perkins Braille machine and the light touch braille machine, the electric braille machine, and the next generation braille machine, all made up by the Perk by Perkins, and are recommended to repair service by Help Press. So the company that manufactures, which is the company that manufactures our parts. So last year, we gauged 20, 27,659 glasses, and we transcribed 3,256 pages. And mostly, you do that transcription for students or for uh, adults who want leisure reading or tell me about that. So we are currently we have a contract with Lutheran Braille Writers, which is a, a religious affiliate that we have. So we transcribe their sermons for them. We have transcribed for schools as well. And also we have what is really neat about our program that when some of our workers have paroled, they have been able to take what they learned at the Blind Project and took it into the community. So some of them have started their own transcribing business, which and then we've had subcontracts through them. So we transcribe for schools, churches, and, and private uh, customers as well. So do any of the volunteers actually learn Braille? Yeah, so the people in the Braille transcription, uh, they are the ones, because they have to get certified through the 
through the Library of Congress. So they are the ones that actually learn Braille. Um, and it, it's actually our hardest department to work in because it takes a, a lot of skills and concentration. So the people, the guys that work in transcription are the ones that have learned to, to Braille. What motivates these folks to want to do this kind of volunteer work? Do they do they receive some sort of time credit on their sentence or how what do they get in return? So they do not receive time credit on their um, or reduced from their sentence by working with us, but they do receive the opportunity to give back to the community. A lot of our uh, our my workers what they get from their pay, they usually donate it to uh, like, for instance, domestic violence groups or organizations. They're, they really uh, become very passionate of what they do because it's a way for them to give back. Um, they, not only that, they, they do, they're also very, what, the people that we hire to work at the Blind Project are typically the best of the best inmates. They're, they're the, the brightest, it, because of the opportunity that they get and the uh, stuff they get to work with. So a lot of the times that the reason why they want to work there with us is because it gives them an opportunity to give back. At any given time, how many volunteers do you have working on these projects? So currently I have 14 workers. There is five workers in the Braille Repair and we have six in the Braille transcription, and I have one in optical gauging, and I have, and, and I also have the head clerk. Do you ever receive notes or feedback from blind customers? And what yes. do they say? Yes, we do. I have one here. I don't. I'm not sure why my camera's not displaying, um, showing me. But I actually did bring a note. Um, it's in Braille. Um, and it says, well, it's in Braille, but somebody uh, transcribed it for me. So it says, on Friday, August 26th from 2020 to the Blind Project at CMF, thank you for your you repairing my Braille writer. It sounds very different than it did before, and it Brailles wonderfully. I use my Braille writer every day to write my notes to all of my friends. Thank you. Thank you for helping me out, your cool best friend, Tim Jacobs. So we, as we do receive notes in Braille, and we have many that we keep in store for display. People are very, very happy with our work. Uh, my workers take great, great pride in time and what they do. And we always receive letters from people in recognition. Um, they're just very dedicated and they actually love working there. I can personally attest to the good work that you do. I have sent a couple of Braille uh, writers to you for repair, and they have come back promptly and in really good condition. So one of the questions I want to ask is, if somebody is interested in taking advantage of your services, either for a transcription or for a Braille repair, uh, how do they go about doing that? So we have our website. It's called volunteersofvacaville.com. And on our website, we have um, our Braille repair order form and our Braille transcription form. Those are the two services that we offer. Um, I just want to point out that optical gauging, we do that service free of charge. We gauge glasses through the Lions Club, which they host clinics around the world and provide glasses to underfunded communities. So that we do free of charge. So we offer Braille repair, Braille transcription. So sometimes, sometimes people don't have access to a printer. So they'll give me a call and, I t and t what I tell them is like, it's okay, just send your machine 
They could send their machine through free matter for the blind. And then I will fill out a form for them. And basically, as long as they send their basic information, they fill it out or I'll fill it out for them. And our charge is $75 plus 20% of the parts. And we do offer paint jobs as well. And we is and we do uh, we are the lowest pricing in this in the country. So keeps us competitive and keeps us able to do our project. I'm wondering if you have any stories about inmates who have completed their sentence, who were volunteers with the project, and how maybe they went on to use some of those skills later when they were. Uh, when they were uh, released from the prison. Do you know of any st stories of people who did that? I do. So I want to point out that with the laws changing in California, a lot of lifers have been paroling. And a lot of my workers in, in the two years that I've been there, a lot of them have been lifers and they've had their sentence comm commuted. And they were, when they went to the board, they were able to, to demonstrate that they were productive individuals. And also it's it when they present to the board that they work for the blind project and they're uh, giving back to community, they, I wanna say, actually all my workers have paroled, most of them have paroled. Um, so some of them have, uh, some of them, for example, my, the head clerk, he was able to parole and he applied to work to a nonprofit organization to where he kept us as a reference. And then he got to use what he learned with us and applied it outside. Um, that was the last person that I had to make a recommendation for because he worked there for 14 years. So I was his boss and I was able to make an excellent recommendation for him to work. Now, also, I don't know if you're aware of Mr. Michael Delanges. He works with, Amer um, he's very active in the Braille transcription world. So he has been able to start his business as well. And a lot of people like, and also other previous workers have started their braille repair companies. And, it's, and, and in cases we do help them and fund them to, to start off their business as well. So we try to help them as much as we can. That's really good to hear that they have benefited from this training and new skill that they've acquired. And certainly we would welcome you to share with them our uh, website, our organization, if any of them would be interested in joining, they would certainly be welcome. And we would like to know some of their stories as well. What is your website? It is very simple. It's braillerevivalleague.org. You just spell hmm. it all out, B-R-A-I-L-L-E. R-E-V-I-V-A-L-L-E-A-G-U-E dot O-R-G. Awesome. Definitely. I'll definitely share. Is there anything you would like to know from me? Yes. So uh, just uh, we do have a newsletter that we put out. It's actually um, published three times a year with lots of interesting stories written by our members. And we have several, uh, I don't know how much access your uh, people have to, uh, uh, to the internet, but we, we present a number of different uh, special events throughout the year. One of them is called Braille Buzz. It talks about 
activities and products and technology that are related to Braille that are happening, not just in the United States, but around the world. That sounds awesome. I would like to subscribe. So I would be their avenue for access to the internet. They don't have access to the internet, but anything that they need regarding our, our work, our job, I'm uh -huh. able to put those things up for them. I want to take uh, the opportunity to invite my co-facilitator, Denise, to join us. If you have a question, Denise, you'd like to ask Claudia, would you unmute and please do so? Yeah, Claudia, I'm just curious. Um, you, you talked a bit about, you know, how the program got started. Um, what, what about it, you know, brought you to, you know, to be a part of it? And, and you sound like you have a real enthusiasm for, you know, for the program. Um, it sounds absolutely amazing. Um, you know, how did you personally get in, get started and get involved? So I used to be a medical technical assistant, which was a, a, a classification in the prison system that was a nurse slash officer, correctional officer. Um, they later got uh, rid of that classification. So then I became a correctional officer after I was a correctional officer. Um, so this is actually a correctional officer position that I work in, but it is under a special assignment. So basically they pick you for this position. Um, uh, so I became interested in this because it was a way of me to continue. It's, it isn't necessarily nursing, but it's something that I, that I, that somehow it just felt like my job had more purpose. So I really love working with my workers. I love helping them. And I like, and I've seen the progress that these individuals have made um, in trying to be better and, they work, they work so hard, they go to school, they parole, and then we're at the same time, we're able to help our community, our community on the outside. So it's very, I want to say it's very gratifying what I do. And I'm so blessed because I'm the only officer that does this position. Do you know Braille yourself, Claudia? I do not. I do not know. I have okay. not had the opportunity to learn, okay. but I'm there. I'm always willing to learn. So are any of the volunteers uh, certified Brailleists with the Library of Congress? Yes. So all of our Braille transcriptionists, they are certified through the Library of Congress. So, um, yes, they, that's one of the requirements. One of the requirements for them, um, well, they get hired to work there and then they have to pass this. Um, they have, it takes about nine, nine months to a year for them to get certified. So that's one of their um things to do first before they even start working. Now, you said that most of your, or if not most, all of your volunteers are lifers. Is that correct? Yes, most of them have been lifers. Um, actually, right now, all of my workers are lifers and um, they have, or some of them have a very long sentence. So mm -hmm. yes, but most of them get their um, sentence commuted and then they're able to parole. So of those who you currently have or previously were in your crew, what's the longest number of service that they have been a volunteer? I want to say Ms. Uh, 14 years, The, the la my last assistant. He worked there for 14 years. And now he has been released? Yes, he, and he was a lifer. 
Yes, okay. he has been released and um, he's actually now working for another nonprofit. So we, from what I've heard and what he, he usually, typically our workers stay in touch with us and just, and he's doing very, very well. Okay. Does he still keep up his Braille knowledge and uh, does he help out with the, the group still in some way? Not that I know of that he has not. He started working for a nonprofit called Books Inc., so mm -hmm. he he does not, but he he is in the process of opening his own business. He would like to open up a business, but not not necessarily in the braille world. But mm -hmm. he did say that by he learned how to manage a business essentially with us, and he would like to, that's how he has taken what he learned at the Blind Project, and then that's what he that's his plan. Denise, do you have another question? No, I have no other questions. You've done you know, a great job. This has been a really wonderful presentation. Uh, as I pointed out, I have had some personal experience with uh, the uh, volunteers repairing a couple of my Perkins brailers, but I didn't know that it had been around this many years. It's really amazing. And that you do uh, transcription. So if I, if I had a book that I wanted you to transcribe, I could just send it to you and you do that? Yes, you could even send it to us uh, via electro uh, email, or you uh -huh. could send us a hard copy, whatever you would prefer. And and how do you uh, bound bind them or emboss them? Do you? We have an embosser, so some, so if you would like it embossed, we could emboss it, or if you like the the, the transcribed pages digitally, we could do that as well. And we uh -huh. use Braille two thousand, Doxbury, so it's whatever service you prefer. Okay. And do you want to give your contact information out, please? Yes, of course. So uh, my e our email is vovblindproject at gmail.com. And our phone number is 707-448-6841, extension 2044. And we also have our information on our website, which is www.volunteersofvacaville.com. Any, 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 any way or avenue people prefer, it's fine with me. We get a lot of emails. I get a lot of phone calls. Um, so, and just so you know, and other prisons have have tried to mirror our program. We've been pioneers for other Braille transcriptions, transcription programs, and in other institutions, but we are the only one that's a nonprofit. And, and no one is at the scale that we are. So we are so little special at, at CMF. And she sounds like she's very proud of that fact. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As you should be. As you should be. Thank so you. So be, because we are a little ahead of schedule, Denise, could we entertain a question or two from our audience? Well, I don't think we set up to do that. So um, if I'm understanding correctly, is somebody able to raise their hand, ask a question? Or do we have that ability? You do have a raised hand if you'd like uh, to take it at this time. Sure, we'll take it. We'll take a question. Okay. Beth, you may unmute. Yes, I was trying to look up your website and I can't find it. The, the transcript has your spelled V O um, C O. Let me see, where is it? I <laughs> just had it. Um, I sent my question to uh, to Jane. Um, so, how do you spell vacavo? Oh, it is. It. Sorry, it is V A 
sorry. So it's www.volunteers. So V O L U N T E E R S O F. And then Vacaville is V A C A V I L L E.com. That's the part I couldn't read. A V A V V A C A V I L. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, C A V I. Okay. Okay. Well, Claudia, I want to thank you again on behalf of the Braille Revival League for taking the time to be with us in this special birthday celebration of Louis Braille and sharing the, such wonderful information. And again, our congratulations to you and our thanks to all of your volunteers for the work that they are doing on behalf of blind and, and uh, low vision people who use Braille. Okay. You're very welcome. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, nice. You're very welcome. I hope you uh, will be in touch. Any questions you may have or anything, just feel anybody feel free to contact me. We'll do that. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Denise? Okay. Well, next, we are going to hear from the second of our six Braille Revival League state affiliates. And to tell us about our Braille Revival League of California affiliate and what they're doing or planning to do, I bring back Frank Welty. Frank. Twice in one day. Twice Look out. Twice in one day. <laughs> well, hello again, everybody. This is Frank Welty. I am uh, speaking to you from my uh, from the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco, California, where I work as a senior accessible media and Braille specialist, which means I'm a, a Braille certified braille transcriber. And I also do a lot of proofreading here and working with tactile graphics. So I am currently the president of the Braille Revival League of California, which is California's state affiliate of BRL. Uh, BRLC is also affiliated with our state ACB affiliate, the California Council of the Blind. Now I have been a member of the California Council of the Blind for over 30 years and as long as I have been there, BRLC has been there. So they've been there even longer than me. And uh, we are proud to be affiliated with Braille Re Revival League. And currently we, we've been somewhat fallow the last couple of years, but I'm hoping to uh, get us very active again in 2024. So I want to share with you some of the things that we, as well as our individual members, have been involved with. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think that uh, there is a role that our state affiliates can play in fulfilling the mission of BRL to promote Braille around this country, because there are things that we can do locally that a na the national organization can't do because they're, we're not, they're not on the ground. And uh, there are several things that we've done here in California, both in BRLC and as individual members or members of our local chapters that I want to talk about. Uh, a big one that we've been involved with is the Braille Challenge. I know that later on today, you're going to hear more about the Braille Challenge. I've submitted an article in the past to the uh, Braille Memorandum, which is the magazine of the Braille Revival League. The Braille Challenge is a uh, nationwide event that is sponsored by the Braille Institute of America, which is the leading blindness service agency in Southern California. And uh, the Braille Challenge takes place every June in Los Angeles. I believe they, 
I think they're on the campus of University of Southern California, if I remember correctly. And they bring students from all around the country, the 50 top Braille students from around the country to compete in their Braille skills. And the way they do this is that they have a series of, of four exams that they take and their scores are tallied up and the, the students with the best scores in each age category are, are winners. And it's very exciting. And they also have a large number of regional events around the country that students go through in order to qualify for the big national event. Uh, we here in California has been have been very active in our regional events, particularly the Northern California Braille Challenge, which takes place in various venues here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And so a large number of our members every year volunteer as scores and as doing other tasks to support the Braille Challenge event. It's a lot of fun. It's a day-long event where in addition to the students coming and taking their Braille exams, and then there are also activities for the families of the students to learn more about Braille and about other services that are available to blind students. It's a very fun event, a very inspiring event. If you live in proximity to a regional Braille challenge in your state, I encourage you to get involved with them. You, you'll be glad you did. Uh, another thing that uh, we have done, our members have done, is locally, our members who belong to the San Francisco chapter of the California Council of the Blind hold an annual event called the Hooray for Braille Celebration. We do it sometime in January to celebrate the birthday of Lewis Braille, and we hold it at our the main branch of the San Francisco Public Library. And we meet there on a Saturday, and we display Braille, the various Braille items for the public to see, such as uh, Braille books, Braille maps, Braille tactile graphics, Braille alphabet cards, uh, we have a couple of people with Braillers that will write people's names in Braille and then give them a card so that they can read their own name in Braille. We, we show high-tech stuff as well. And we have a couple of people that will go to the children's reading room in the afternoon and read to the kids in Braille. And the kids love it. We're going to have our next event on Saturday, January 27th, and we're going to be there promoting Braille. That's something that you could do locally with your local libraries as well. I want to mention uh, one other thing that uh, that one of our members do. It's not specifically a BRLC uh, activity, but because this individual is a member of our organization, I want to highlight it. And that is that our, our member, Vileen Shaw, Professor Vileen Shaw, who was a former uh, instructor with the Hadley Institute, is now working with the East Bay Center for the Blind in Berkeley, California, where he is spearheading the production of a set of, of, of distance courses in Braille so that, that you can, if you want to learn Braille and you want to have a course that is going to be very accessible and where you can get support in your, in your Braille journey, you can sign up for one of these courses. They currently have one course, which is their Braille 101. It's an introduction to Braille course in, in a uncontracted Braille. They also are developing a course called Braille 102, which is contracted Braille. And then they're also working on a, a 103 and a 104 course, which they will have in the future. If you would like to learn more about that course, you can write to Mr. Shaw, Dr. Shaw. His email address is shah at eastbaycenterfortheblind.org. So it's a long one, 
but it's easy to remember. Shaw at eastbaycenterfortheblind.org for more information. And uh, so the reason I bring these things up is because, again, the power of your local BRL affiliate is that you can come together with other people who are committed to Braille and do things in your local area and reach out to individuals locally to bring them into the Braille community and help them along their Braille journey. If you'd like to get in touch with me and with the Braille Revival League of California, you can do so by you can write to me. My name is Frank Welty. So my uh, email address is frank.a.welty. And that last name is spelled W-E-L-T like tango, E, Welty, at gmail.com. Again, that's frank.a dot welty at gmail.com if you'd like more information about the braille revival league of california do get in contact with me and uh, i'm happy to take any questions we do have time for one or two questions if anybody would like to ask frank a question please raise your hand frank wants to hand has been raised. hello greg <laughs> moment i'll give him permission to speak okay well it's not allowing me to give him permission to talk so mm -hmm. i don't know what's going on i'm so sorry oh sorry dear well greg you're gonna have to e email your question to to us and we'll get, oh, it, get it to him yep. <laughs> wow anybody else have a question and, and for those of you who are members of the of, of the braille revival league of california i am of course on the email list so if you want to ask questions there that's fine too oh here we go i can get greg now sorry uh, good <laughs> oh, you know, zoom. zoom doesn't always <laughs> want to cooperate you know <laughs> okay hello can you hear me we can. we can. Okay, awesome, awesome. Frank, I'm I'm curious. Um, your work with the Lighthouse for the Blind. Um, yes. How does that help you in your work uh, with Braille? And kind of two part question: What inspired your uh, work at the Lighthouse, and how does your work help you with what you do with uh, BRL? So that's my question. Thank you. Well, the fact that I am a Braille transcriber is because of my work here at the Lighthouse is that um, because I, I, I originally came to the Lighthouse and I was mainly doing information referral work, but over time I kind of transitioned into doing more Braille work and because I am a, li a lifelong Braille reader, I'm a pretty good Braille reader. So I was doing proofreading and then I upped my game by getting my Braille uh, transcriber certification so that I could uh, do more of the transcribing in our in our office and so that that was directly affected me and that experience of learning to be a transcriber I think has strengthened my commitment to Braille uh, especially UEB I was one of the early adopters of UEB back around 2015 I love it and uh, so I, and I, I love to have opportunities to promote it thank you well Frank, thank you so very much for um, coming and telling us about what the Braille Reliable League of, 
Braille Revival League of California is doing. That's what happens when you start trying to talk too fast. Um, well, this was great. You guys. It's great to be part of this historic event today. I hope I hope all of our other um, state affiliates are listening because hopefully you guys are going to get ideas from each other of things you can do in your states. I so often hear, well, we don't know, you know what we can be working on. We don't know what we can be doing. But our state affiliates are so important as a part of our national organization. So hopefully you guys are going to get ideas from each other and are going to be able to, uh, you know, share with each other and, and do new things in, in your states. So hopefully you will be able to do that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Our next presenter is um, someone that we've heard from before, at least it's from an organization that we are um, certainly well aware of. And that is the Clovernook Printing House for the Blind. And to talk to us today is Samuel Foltz. And I'm going to let him tell you his job and um, a little bit about Samuel, if you can tell us a little bit about your history, how you got started, how long um, Clovernook has been in existence, and a little bit about um, your project. Sure. Uh, can you hear me okay? We can, yes. Okay, great. Well, first, thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Samuel Fuchs. I'm the Director of Braille Production and Accessible Innovation here at Clovernook. Uh, this is my 11th year here at Clovernook. I started working here right after university and um, loved it. I've been here ever since. Uh, and so a little bit about Clovernook is, you know, we're, we're a fairly old organization here in the U.S. We were founded in 1903 by a pair of sisters, uh, one of whom was blind, uh, Georgia Trader. She was the first blind student in Cincinnati public schools, and they founded uh, the Cincinnati Library for the Blind in 1901. Uh, in 1903, they founded Clovernook Center. At the time, it was um, actually meant to just be a home for the blind. So they approached William Proctor of Proctor & Gamble, which is one of the big uh, companies headquartered here in Cincinnati, and persuaded him to purchase this small old cottage and 30 acres of land around it um, so that it could be a home for women who were blind. Uh, but after a year or two, they decided that they also wanted to provide employment opportunities uh, for the people who were living in their residence. So initially, this was weaving, and we still have in our archives a few of these really large, uh, old shaker looms. Um, but in 1914, we were gifted a printing press. And so Cincinnati in the early 20th century was one of the biggest printing cities in the world. I believe it was second only to New York in terms of the amount of printing activity that was happening. Uh, it still punches above its weight nationally in terms of being a, a printing center. Um, all that to say that many of the early benefactors of our organization were in the print industry. And so they approached us uh, with this printing press and Lovenuk decided that, yes, uh, we wanted to try our hand at printing. Um, at this time, it wasn't actually Braille we were printing. We were printing New York Point, which was a different tactile writing system. Uh, we didn't switch over to Braille until uh, the 1920s. The 1910s, there were still you know, various competing systems. 
we were the first printing house in the U.S., I believe, to be primarily staffed by individuals who were blind or low vision. Uh, and today, that's still a part of our mission here at Clovernook. Uh, a little over half of our staff in the printing house are legally blind, um, anywhere from our boards, senior management, down to entry-level uh, production. So for most of our history, uh, we have specialized in bulk printing, uh, the majority of that for the National Library Service, uh, or NLS. Um, so for much of our history, most of what we were printing were books and magazines for the National Library Service. And today that's still true uh, with the majority of, I'd say about 75% of our output is for the National Library Service. Um, but we do believe we are the highest volume printer of Braille in the world. Uh, today we print about 30 million pages of Braille a year. Wow. Uh, which is quite a lot. Um, and a part of that is due to the fact that we also are still using printing presses. Um, so for those of you that may know a little bit about printing equipment, you know, most Braille production facilities have moved to, or nearly all have moved to digital printers like Braillos, um, Index, Everests and Fanfolds and all sorts of um, what we refer to as digital printers. Uh, but we still use giant roll-fed printing presses with metal zinc plates, and they're actually much more efficient for printing in bulk. So we've ended up kind of accumulating a lot of the um, bulk production work because it's much faster to do on a printing press. Uh, the other 25% of what we do here is a mixture of private work. Um, we do all the Braille menus for McDonald's here a couple times a year. Um, so if you walk into any McDonald's, they'll have a Braille menu that we printed here at Clovenuck. And that's about 130,000 menus that we emboss in about two weeks. They don't give us a lot of time, <laughs> but that's why it's useful to have a printing press. Um, Absolutely. For the National Library Service, uh, we do a lot of their magazines. So if you receive magazines through NLS, we're the producer for a lot of those. Um, a lot of their books that you'll find in libraries. Uh, we are uh, doing most of their print braille books too. So those fun books that have print pages and see-through plastic pages um, through the National Library Service. Uh, I think the most exciting program that we've been involved with with NLS recently, which many of you may be aware of, if you're not, um, I'd encourage you to, to check it out, is the Braille On Demand uh, program that they launched in July of 2022. So you know, up until then, if you wanted a Braille copy of a book, you'd have to check it out from a library and return it, um, or try to source it yourself, which could be very expensive or non-existent in terms of finding a copy that you could keep and do with what you want. The NLS Braille On Demand program allows any eligible patron to request any title that NLS has ever produced that they can find on board. And within nine business days, uh, we print and ship uh, a copy of that book to that patron and they can keep it. It's really, um, cool to see the orders come in because we're getting requests from all over the country of individuals um, for many, in many cases, you know, getting books that they can keep for the first time. Um, cookbooks, uh, bestsellers, uh, nonfiction, knitting, board games. There are so many titles available through NLS uh, that now individuals can, can order and keep. And it's, it's such a cool program. Um, and it's been extremely popular. And that to me is, is indication 
um, you know, that, that Braille is still very much uh, in high demand and appreciated by a large audience because the order numbers have been uh, substantial. And we're all very excited about the, the Braille on, on demand program. Absolutely. It's, it's really a cool program that they put mm -hmm. together there, and we're really happy to be uh, a part of it. Um, the, the latest uh, addition to our NLS services uh, are Braille calendars. So this is a new um, service that NLS is offering, providing free Braille calendars uh, to patrons. And that's just kind of kicking off uh, right now. So for most of our history, that's really been what we've done. We've been a middleman producer, for lack of a better term. And for that reason, uh, even though we print a lot of Braille, it's generally been um, on behalf of other people's programs. And that's something that over the last five to 10 years that we've started to um, shift. Uh, so we've launched several initiatives here at Clovenuk. Uh, our first was our arts and accessibility initiative. So this program works with cultural spaces all across uh, the US uh, and we provide free accessible materials and consulting to museums, performing arts spaces, individual artists. And the way this works, and I think it's such a great model for any organization who's providing materials um, to kind of think about how to incentivize getting Braille into public spaces is you know, we uh, get grants from uh, like Ohio Arts Council, you have state council, private foundations, sponsors, and essentially create a pool of funds a museum is interested in Braille, tactile graphics, the 3D model, um, and we'll provide them with that service and reimburse ourselves through that pool of funds. And so it's essentially a risk-free way for spaces to see the impact that these materials can have in their spaces. Because often you'll find in a museum, you might have a very passionate educator who's, who knows the importance of providing alternatives to print and providing tactiles for objects that are behind glass or are two-dimensional. But it's very hard to convince the folks who control the purse strings. So we try to show through our work uh, the impact that it can have on patron and visitor experience. So that could be anything from uh, your Braille uh, programs for Carnegie Hall in New York and uh, Braille materials for the Met, all the way down to uh, providing an actress who was blind with a script for her local theater production uh, in Braille. And so every project that we work on is free of charge to the space. Um, and it, they're a lot of fun to work on. And, and it's really in line with our mission. And I think what a lot of people are talking about here today, which is you know, that, that Braille is, is such an important alternative um, to have uh, in, in spaces where you're trying to welcome as many people as possible. Uh, we also provide large print, tactile graphics, uh, 3D scanning and 3D models. Um, our, latest, our latest initiative uh, is um, somewhat in alignment with the goals of our arts initiative, but it's looking outside the borders of the United States. So with now. the advent of the Marrakesh proposal, Marrakesh Treaty, sorry, which eliminated copyright restrictions internationally. Um, this initiative is exploring how uh, we can have an impact on Braille literacy and enjoyment of Braille outside the US. Uh, this pilot's been around now for about three years. 
Uh, we work with a couple universities here in Cincinnati uh, on developing some of the materials. But essentially what we are currently doing is partnering with schools uh, in East Africa, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Tanzania, uh, and providing Braille storybooks in a variety of languages. They're mostly print Braille books, so they can be read uh, in large print. Uh, they can be read by sighted teachers uh, with students who are blind or vice versa. And we pair them up with um, tactile kits. So for those of us who read print, uh, you know, when you're reading storybooks as a kid, the illustrations are just as much a part of the story as the story itself is. And yes, you can insert a description of the illustration, but how much more fun is it to have something um, tactile that represents that illustration? So all storybooks come with 3D printed uh, models uh, of objects and concepts found within the stories. So for instance, uh, a Kiswahili book that we did about a elephant that's chasing a rabbit through a pumpkin patch and the rabbit hides inside of a pumpkin. Uh, the book comes with a model elephant and a model rabbit and a model pumpkin where you can take the top of the pumpkin off and hide the rabbit inside and kind of play along with the story. Uh, so we've spent a few years now um, developing different books, distributing them in different schools. It's grown into um, kind of non-storybook items as well. So uh, we're actively working on kits that involve um, science and geography and astronomy. Uh, in fact, I had a meeting this morning with a local astronomer who wants to work with us in developing um, tactile constellation kits so that um, folks can see the different uh, constellations, Taurus and Leo and Orion, um, in a, uh, you know, in a, a collection of tactiles. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. And that's really, this and our arts initiative, these two programs are really trying to take Braille outside of, you know, just having your textbook in Braille. We want um, everything that print readers uh, get to enjoy and experience um, to be just as available for students who are Braille readers. Um, or who read large print. Uh, and so, you know, these programs are in varying stages of development, but we're really excited about them. Um, so, you know, here at Clovenook, yes, we have our traditional printing operation that's been going now for uh, 110 years. Uh, but we now are also looking at you know, really trying to do uh, end user focused and co-designed programs that really impact people's lives, not just um, in the classroom, but also in, in daily life. So can you um, talk a little bit about, from your perspective, um, the whole Braille production industry, um, how do you think it's changed over the years and where do you see it headed? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I like to always read up on not necessarily competitors, but, but what other people are doing in the field. Um, certainly, we've seen a couple uh, longstanding producers close over the last decade. Right when I started out, uh, Braille International in, in Florida, uh, and recently during COVID, ASB in, in Philadelphia, you saw these uh, kind of 
long long-standing braille producers uh, closing their doors but what you are seeing what I've seen uh, are a lot of um, new companies come up providing braille services as well so you do have these uh, companies now that they don't they're not just braille providers they're kind of all-in-one accessibility companies where braille is one thing that they offer um, generally these are also for-profit companies um, so there have been several of those that are competitive with us on contracts on bids uh, and I think that's good it's good to have competition I think the more people producing braille uh, the better I think that I've certainly seen you know most producers are using you know digital embosses you're not seeing necessarily the kind of bulk printing that might have been more common um, 30 40 50 years ago uh, you know we still do a lot of that but I'm not sure that many other places still are um, and I, I've seen you know an increasing uh, Kind of drift over to you know as these as these braille readers become more affordable these e-readers uh and you know the continuing development of these full page displays and if you haven't seen the monarch that, that aph has put together that thing is, is is incredible i mean there's so much braille technology just around the corner um i i've noticed a lot of e-reading so i think you know, a lot of this kind of bra physical braille on demand is kind of the way I'm seeing things go. Um, but we're certainly not seeing a drop in the amount that we're uh, printing here at Clovenoak. Oh, that kind of was going to lead me to my next question with, um, with the advent of, of course, audiobooks and now, um, you know, being able to do everything on your computer. Um, have you guys seen a, d a decline in the use of Braille and how has that affected your business there? And what do you think can be done, if anything, to, to reverse that trend? Well, we haven't seen a decline in our production numbers, but that's, I would say, a bit of a false flag because we're constantly bringing in um, additional business here. For instance, when ASB closed in Philadelphia, uh, we got a lot of those um, like NLS magazines that they had been producing. I'll say I have noticed during my decade or so here uh, that hard copy subscriber numbers um, are steadily declining. Um, some of that may be due to preference of e-Braille readers. Some of that may be due to you know, uh, decreasing braille literacy in a younger population. Um, but I'm hesitant, I'm hesitant to give kind of a sweeping answer because I actually think it's a very complex question uh, that's multifaceted. So you know, I'm not a, a TVI. I don't um, work directly in the classroom or in education. I know, you know, enough to be a, a little bit dangerous about it just from working in the braille field, but uh, I, I'm hesitant to even say that there's a decline in, in Braille reading. I, I have heard some really interesting presentations in the last year or two that we're really trying to look at. You know, you, you hear a lot about this 10% uh, uh, um, of 
people who are blind read Braille. But if you really dig into that, the statistics, and you really dig into where that data is being sourced from, you actually end up with more questions than answers. Um, so I, I, I think it's kind of dangerous to assume face value that Braille is on the decline. Now I'll tell you this, that it's also a little bit US centric to think that way because outside of the US, when I've visited schools and organizations um, out in, in Eastern Africa or in, in, in Central Asia, uh, Braille is, is a extremely um, high use uh, you know, the the amount of people who are reading Braille per capita um, in some of these countries is much higher than in the U.S. If you think of, if you think about it globally and the, and the population increase over the past 50 years, there could be more Braille readers today than there were 50 years ago. So I, I, I think it's a it's a complex question. And I'm giving a little bit of a rambling answer because I, I don't think there's an easy answer. Well, that's often the case. Larry, do you have any questions for Samuel? Yes, I do. I'd like to ask you to comment on the proofreading step. I know that, you know, several other Braille production houses have gone to what they call Jiffy Braille, which is sort of a shortcut. Have you found it necessary to somehow streamline your proofreading process or found a way to be able to make it more efficient? And along with that, uh, do you employ many blind proofreaders? All of our proofreaders uh, are Braille readers here at Clovenoak. Um, they're certified by NLS. So because most of what we produce here is for the National Library Service, uh, everything we do from a production standpoint is geared around um, their quality standards, which are very high. Uh, so everything that we do is proofread, uh, usually twice. So our first proofreading would be a Braille, a certified Braille proofreader and a cited copy holder reading the print. Uh, and essentially they take turns reading pages, making sure that all the punctuation's there, that all the correct formatting is in place. Uh, they mock up mistakes, it's corrected. The second proofread, is just a Braille reader who reads from front to back and marks up any questions. So I've, I've heard folks talk about how, you know, if you cut out proofreading and maybe your Braille's a little bit more um, rough around the edges, but you could produce a lot more of it, that's not gonna work for the National Library Service. Uh, and so that's, that's also not gonna work um, for us. I think until technology gets to a point, and I think that the tools are there, it's just no one's made it yet, um, until technology gets to the point that you can input print and it'll give you a perfect translation, it's a necessary step if you want something that's not going to have mistakes. Um, so we don't um, cut corners, uh, but you know, if there's ever a time that there's a reliable, and I'll, you know, Duxbury is a very reliable translator, but it, it's just not going to get everything right when you need it to match the print. And some of that's not even the translator's fault. You know, something might not be indented correctly in your uh, input text um, or during your uh, optical character recognition, you know, transfer from the print to a digital text file. It might have misread uh, a quote as an apostrophe. So, 
know, I, I think there's some interesting, some interesting ideas I've heard with, with AI and, and um, ways to cut out that step. Um, but it, it hasn't been such a big problem for us because again, it's, it'd be different if you were doing, you know, like, like American printing house, you know, they're doing so many textbooks and that's each textbook is thousands of braille pages maybe. Right. And they're only printing maybe 20 copies of that textbook. That's going to take forever to proofread. If we're doing a magazine like national geographic might be a hundred braille pages and we're printing a thousand copies of it. So it's, it's, it's uh, not an inefficiency so much for us when we're doing something that we're printing a lot of copies of, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, and you mentioned AI. Are you looking at AI being maybe a, another possible implement for uh, turning out the production figures a little higher? I think it's it's very much feasible. Uh, it's not something that we're developing here, um, but seeing the applications that it's had in other fields, um, I think that the pieces are already there for someone to make something that would be a very useful uh, production tool. You know, if you can get an AI to learn Braille formats <laughs> uh, and then let it go loose on a Braille transcription, you know, maybe it could it could find all sorts of um, stuff that would take a lot longer to find through traditional methods. So it's it's something that I I keep tabs on, but but it's not something that we're working on here. I'm more just interested to find out if anyone else is at some point. You might still need a human proofreader, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I would want to see maybe uh, a year of um, reliable results before we cut out um, proofreading, because there's nothing uh, worse than printing a thousand copies of something and then realizing Oh whoops! You know it's got the wrong issue date on the uh, on the front cover. Um, you know the the proofreading step is it's 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 also uh, if you think about it from a design perspective, it's it's ultimately it's an inclusive design step because you've got individuals who are um, representing the population that's going to be using the product, testing the product before we put it out. Much like you know, at a publishing house that's publishing novels, um, you know, you'll want a, uh, a copy editor to be checking all your print to make sure there isn't a, a typo. It's it's for us at Clovenook, it's it's definitely a um, a necessary step if we want the the quality that we've got to have. Well, Samuel, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today and being a part of our event and telling us. Um, what, what Clovernook is doing, it's fascinating because I haven't really, I mean, I've known about Clovernook for years, but never really knew everything that you did. So it's been great information. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, if anyone ever finds themselves in Cincinnati, I'm more than happy uh, to welcome <laughs> you on a tour. Got lots of cool Braille equipment that I can uh, show you guys. And uh, do feel free to reach out if you have any questions you can find. My email address uh, on our website, on our Braille production page, uh, or it's also uh, S for Samuel, and my last name, Fuchs. So it's S Fuchs, and that's F-O-U-L-K-E-S at clovenook.org. 
uh, thank you so much for having me and I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of these presentations. Thank you. All right, just a reminder that um, because we have a pretty tight agenda for the day, um, some of our events we may be able to take questions depending on how long they go, um, but most of them probably not. So if you have a question for a presenter that you didn't get a chance to ask, um, you can email that to treasurer at braillerevivalleague.org, and we will make sure that your question gets to the, the right person. So let us know who um, your question is for, because uh, we don't want to not be able to take people's questions. We hope if we do this in the future, and that will depend a lot on um, what you tell us after this event as to how you felt it went, um, we will, um, you know, uh, we will set some of them up or construct some of them so that, you know, we can build in more time for questions. It was just very exciting to see the number of presenters who wanted to be part of our Lewis Braille celebration today.